0: Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. You know, we got a, we got an ongoing series that I personally really uh, enjoy, and it's called As Seen on Streaming. And we've had some of the biggest names and personalities on streaming, as well as uh, people involved in documentaries that, frankly, are so crucial in, in providing clarity and dimension uh, to the topics. Uh, we've had everything from Emmy winners to Oscar winners. And so I love this series. I'm very excited about this this one. Uh, my wife and I both have a thing for uh, true crime stories, and one that we're really hooked on right now is one called I am a killer, and uh, this one in particular caught my attention uh, because it was a about a uh, woman a woman who was uh, convicted as a killer, which is so rare and uh, and it had a dimension of uh, an interesting advocate advocate for her, that uh, you know, you really—I've never seen another story. And I'm interviewing that that uh, uh, person who, who played such a big part in this uh, episode of "I Am a Killer." And uh, Betty Frizzell, welcome to the program. Uh, you are I have a background in, in law enforcement. Uh, you were a sheriff at one point, um, and you are. Intimately connected with uh, the story about a woman who had been uh, subject to long-term abuse, is what what uh, she's claimed, and uh, mm-hmm. what, what has been seen, and uh, you know by by a man that eventually resulted in him being murdered, and she was convicted for that murder, but your argument is. And this is by the way on Netflix I am it, a killer on Netflix. Um your conviction is is that they got the wrong person. So come on with that go ahead and set the stage and, and give us a feeling for it.
1: Okay, well first thank you for having me. I appreciate you giving me time, but um this uh this my sister actually had an ongoing case with the Missouri Division of Aging for Abuse from her former husband, uh, her her husband at the time, and her adult son, and um, I believe that uh, they got the wrong person in prison. I believe that it was uh, my nephew, not my sister, that committed this crime, and um, I tried to reason with law enforcement with my background and tell them, because, um, you know, I, I'm a former detective, chief of police, and um, currently I do investigations for a state agency, but I tried to you know ask them because there was a call uh five days prior to the um, the murder and it th- and it was my nephew telling them telling nine one one i 'm going to murder them uh, uh, my sister my brother in law and then himself. He goes into uh, the required ninety six hour hold in Missouri, was um, where this crime occurred and he gets out, the next day they have been gone all day shopping, and then less than 48 hours after he's out of the psych ward, um, he is, someone's murdered. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it's... It, A little more, little more than
0: coincidence.
1: Right. Uh, less than 48 yeah. hours. Um, so, I... Went back and uh, looked at the physical evidence, looked at the and, – and then I did a, a – I wasn't going to get involved, okay, first of all, <laughs> because, you know, from my training, I'm like, oh, you do the crime, you do the time, right? But mm-hmm. there was just things didn't add up. Um, ultimately, um, my sister was convicted of uh, – because she took a plea deal. She didn't get a trial. She got a sentencing trial. That was Like it. most
0: people in the vast majority yeah.
1: Cases. Yeah, because she so, had been in there four years without a uh without bond. She was a danger to herself and others.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's why they do that, right? That's I mean that's the ostensibly why they do do that. It also has a great effect of grinding people down as well when you're yeah. <laughs> when you're in a situation like that. Your your will real really suffers. I think mine would not have lasted four years in a deal like that. It's like, let's just get this over with. So talk a little bit about the thing that really, to me, that they harped on was the blood splatter. That was the thing that the documentary, pretty much everything hinged on that. And and although I do think they did a fairly good job of uh, including you, Netflix, uh, and, and you had a lot of opportunity to talk, and you did a really good job of, of providing different perspective. We didn't hear much about the blood splatter from you, and I'm assuming that has something to do with editing, or you didn't know yes. what to do with it. That, if you're watching it, that's what you're concluding.
1: Well, if you, uh, and, and as far as that's concerned. When you're that close proximity of a gun being fired, and they talked a lot about GSR, too, which is gunshot residue, which gunshot residue, um, a lot of agencies don't use it. We don't use it in the state where I live because it's very unreliable because when you shoot a gun, it's like talcum powder going everywhere. But getting back to the blood splatter. um, that's an interesting point. That's a good point. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so you could be in close proximity because some of the blood splatter I saw was some was up her nose, some was on her hands, but the sun was so clean, like there was nothing. And he's walking into as she's shooting supposedly as far as their recollection of the defense. He's walking in. as She's shooting, but he's got a white shirt on, completely free of blood. But she's got all this blood splatter on, and it's up her nose. That's one of the things that really stuck out to me. And that was editing. That was one of the things that was edited out. Was I did do a rebuttal to that, um, the blood splatter, um, because my nephew is six foot six, and she's only five foot uh, four and a half, I believe, or five foot five. She's very short, uh, as far as you know, a female comes. So if it's up her nose, she's looking up. So she's looking at fire and a gun when this person's lying yeah. down on a couch. So there was a, uh, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of inconsistencies at that. Um, and I've conferred with a lot of uh, forensics experts in the field. Um, I've even sent my book out to them and said, okay, read the book. I'll send you the autopsy. Tell me what you think. If my sister did this, okay, I'm fine, but I still have my own conclusions. And uh, the, the blood splatter, It could be in close proximity of a gun being shot, especially that many rounds. There was ten rounds, so somebody had to unload the whole revolver, go back, reload, and shoot four more into the victim. So So there was so many inconsistencies. That's what there was ten. Yeah, according to the death certificate, there was ten shots shot. And so this is a six-round revolver. I knew this gun very well. It was my mom's. I used it <laughs> from t- target practice, going to police academy. So I knew it very well. I knew the trigger action. I knew the sound of it. It's a very. It's a small little revolver. Someone had to go and reload. And from all accounts, there was no fighting between her and her husband. This is a. This is more of a passionate person that's going to reload a gun into somebody. Mm-hmm. And you know. Yeah. Then they brought in the the will, which was a living will, which Vicky is a person of diminished intellect, so she doesn't really understand that. And we come from Missouri, which, if you're, anyone's from Missouri, they're used to the Terry Schiavo case, which was the right to die, you know, the the living will. Right. She didn't have a will, so her parents... Anyway, Vicki had had a stroke, and she was um, very uh, she, was, she was very well aware of that. She just went to the hospital a few weeks prior to this, and they told her, get a living will, because she didn't want to be resuscitated. She wanted to go, you know, and join my mom in heaven. So... um I, I told her, I said, you know, you need to get a living will. And that's what that will was They showed up there. It even says on it, living will. And in it, it, it was a very interesting thing. I'm glad they showed that and they, they used that as their smoking gun because it says that she keep, that Chris keeps his family portraits. If she's going to have an intent of murder-suicide, murder, suicide, why is she using the tense keeps? He mm-hmm. keeps his stuff. You know, it was, yeah. it was, there's just a lot of inconsistencies.
0: So let's talk for a minute you uh, no, uh, you opened up a lot there that was really good. uh first of all, I love what you said about the uh, uh the gunshot residue because it's one of those things that popular culture has it as as almost sacred. you know it can't right. be wrong. You're one of the very first people I've ever heard seen that challenge. I of course will will challenge your challenge by looking more into it, mm-hmm. but my gut tells me on uh, yeah. national radio you <laughs> you, you, you went stick your neck out there and put the a listener by the way. She actually has, our guest, Betty, has a uh, master's degree in criminal justice. And so, in addition to experience, she brings uh, a a lot of uh, excellent training as well. So, I appreciate that. We could do a whole segment just on sacred cows and uh, and justice that, uh, you know, aren't that sacred. This would obviously be a good example of that. Something that came into my mind while watching the documentary was, you know, was he further away? from the uh victim when when the uh, the action happened and she happened to be closer when it happened which may have played a role in the splatter exactly um for uh, in, in They didn't talk about that. Th- Are you saying that's the case no. in your, your opinion?
1: Uh it, it could have been but I believe that he was um he actually cleaned up or something something happened because and and if you read my book you'll you'll see that there was things that he did after the the murder lie, uh, that were very inconsistent. Like they only can because they're a British company, and British law will not let them come out and just flat out say what well, my theory is, like what I said in my book. But he uh, the the day she was sentenced to life plus twenty five years, he took, he got on a plane from he took a train from the little town in Missouri where we're from to Chicago to Rome, Italy. I had to put a missing persons report, report out on him because I didn't know what had happened to him. And mm-hmm. uh, he he took off the day she was sentenced. He knew she was getting sentenced, and he took off and flew to uh, to Rome and was living in the homeless community there until I found him because I put a you know I mis- put a missing persons report on. Him. We didn't even know he had a passport.
0: Um, but Wait, you uh, go to Rome to the homeless community? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm like, surprised. what's going the on? Told what's, what's going on with that?
1: Well the State Department wow. told me there's a lot of uh homeless americans in in europe so uh and anyway he um um he there he he kept talking to me about these gloves, and I go in detail in the book about these gloves that he had'cause he was so he, he was so consistent with it you know and um how he w- was he was just so adamant about telling me about these gloves i'm like what what's the big deal about these gloves'cause Mind you, after this g- crime occurred, they let, they interviewed him. One one report has him being interviewed for 40 minutes, 40 minutes in a murder investigation. Uh, they started the interview yeah, at 10, fun, and much. they ended it. So, and then I, um, but this, the things he was doing, the things he was saying, and I went back and I, I had to do my own police investigation on my nephew, which I, A lot of people have given me a lot of flack about trading one uh, um, family member for another. I didn't. I had an internal struggle. I mentally it was taxing for me to do anything because I was working in Ferguson during the riots, the unrest, uh teaching policing to a 100% African American community during the day and then at night dealing with my nephew and my sister's case <laughs> in the rural community. Right. So, um there you know it just made me very aware that there's a lot of flaws in both urban and rural. <laughs> rural has, the rural community Funny.
0: now is that yeah Yeah, I'm sorry, we're near, near, I'm I'm, I'm at that beat the clock (laughs) moment uh, that I hate, and I still want you to mention your book and how people can get it. Sure. Um, But this is really enlightening, and I might have to have a a part two, because uh, I might want to go deeper on on some of this. But this was really enlightening, and uh, I think that – uh, it was much more complicated. Oh, there was one thing I needed to ask, and again, we only about two <laughs> minutes left total, so keep that in mind. Sure. Uh, you mentioned okay. it was a British company. Are you talking about who made the documentary? Yeah, British company. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, got yeah. It. Just want to make sure that's clear. And uh, really, real quick, final thoughts, and in that include um, the uh, book information. Book is must reading, by the way.
1: Sure, okay. Well, the book is called If You Can't Quit Crying, You Can't Come Here Anymore. And that's what, uh, I can't come here no more. That's what my sister said the first time I saw her in prison because I couldn't stop crying. And we're tough Missouri girls, we don't cry. But um, uh, you can find the book on Amazon or uh, any of your uh, bigger or books. Uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, anywhere it's online, um, and through Feral House Publishing is my publisher. And um, I just want people to read it and understand what, how poverty, mental, Ill- uncontrolled mental illness, un- untreated mental health conditions, the opioids, and the rural lack of resources in a rural uh uh, environment causes these types of crimes, and we just forget yeah. about these people. I like to write about that because we always put an emphasis on urban law enforcement, but rural is where the majority of new inmates are coming from a lot of states, not just Missouri.
0: Yeah, and by that's where uh, suicide is way more pervasive, uh, you could probably yeah. argue drug abuse is more pervasive. Um, it is largely largely ignored uh, because mainly most of them are inflicting themselves rather than others, which you know, right. in urban areas, you know, it's the opposite. And so, uh, mm-hmm. but that certainly makes an argument. They are more worthy of help, you know, uh, because of how that uh, happens, if anything. Hey, Betty, I really mm-hmm. appreciate it. Betty Brazil really found this uh, fascinating. We, of course, will have a link to it mm-hmm. on our site. Uh, our site, of course, is priceofbusiness.com. Plus, this will be primarily housed at uh, where we're doing the series on uh, videos, which is on the Daily Blaze thedailyblaze.com. So we'll have a link to her book, which is much much must-reading. If you like true crime, then you need to read this book. Betty, thanks so much for being with us.
1: Okay. Thank you. Have a good day. I'm
0: Kevin. You too. I'm Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Stay tuned for more.